Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see your bright, shiny, happy faces today. Um, before we get into our Bible class uh, for the day, I want to cover just a couple of uh, basics in terms of kind of where we're at with the whole reopening. And I'm tired of talking about this, and you're probably tired of hearing about it. But just so that everybody understands, we are holding, uh, if you read through our opening plan that we put out several months ago, we're on like stage four and a half, uh, which means that uh, hymnals are not back in the pews yet, okay? If you want to use a hymnal, grab yours. If you have people in your family that want to use a hymnal, grab some out of the other pews. Just please wipe and clean them after you use them. We are going to continue to print the bulletin, <sighs> I don't know for how long, <laughs> So, but, but for the foreseeable future, just trying to limit some of that contact, we're going to continue to leave uh, every other pew roped off so that we maintain spacing. Um, and the big question on everybody's minds is, you know, what about the whole face mask thing? And so the first place I'm going to go, uh, can you throw it up here real quick? is I want you to look at uh, the current law written by the governor because some churches are misunderstanding what the actual law is. So this is the executive order. I pulled it right off the website, 20-37. Okay, So uh, that, that's our information. Scroll on down. Uh, let's just go through all the whereases. Keep going down. We don't want to read all the whereases. Uh, okay, so uh, face covering requirements. Um, a, and this is kind of what, you know, would apply to a church and also not apply to a church. And I'll tell you why in a second. A, face coverings are required inside a business, public building, or other indoor place open to the public. Okay, are we open to the public? I would hope so, right? We want, the, we want everybody to hear about Jesus. This does not extend, however, to private offices, private workspaces, or meetings in which six feet of social distancing can be achieved and maintained between people not in the same household. Okay? So if you come to a meeting at church, are you required to wear a face mask there, according to the state of Indiana? No, as long as you what? Maintain six feet. Okay? So that's, that's kind of the main thing. Okay? Um, now scroll on down. He's got some other things. I want you to go to four. Now, wait, go back up a little bit. Four is exemptions to wearing face coverings. The following people are exempt from this directive to wear a face covering, but are strongly encouraged to do so if practicable. If practicable. That should be practical, shouldn't it? Practicable? English teachers, help me out. Practicable? Is it legalese? Okay. I might have to work that into a sermon, practicable, and see how many of your head. What, what did he just say? Okay. Uh, and without undue risk or alternatively or strongly encouraged to wear masks. So the exceptions are, and to go all the way down, there's a list of exceptions. And I want you to look at, oh, it's the very last one. Okay. <laughs> and of course, the very last one, people don't always read through it. Okay. Are you reading it? Any person attending or engaged in a religious service, as he or she must already maintain six feet of social distancing from another person not in the same household. Okay. So, I just want to be clear. According to the state of Indiana, are you required to wear a face mask in church in a religious service? Yes or no? No. Okay, now, here's our ask of you as pastors and head elders. Okay? Face masks help. They do. There's science behind it. COVID is real. I've got family that are uh, 
sister and brother-in-law that are doctors. Uh, she just uh, called me this last week. Uh, she had uh, two more patients um, that uh, died as a result of that, okay? Not just extenuating uh, symptoms and circumstances. It's still real. It's still out there. And one of the ways we can help to prevent that spread is simply by wearing a mask. So wear a mask if you are able, okay? But also don't bind your conscience with, if I have to go to church, I have to wear a mask, okay? So do you, do you understand where we're going with this? <laughs> we're not going to require you to wear a mask here at church, but we are going to ask you to please wear a mask, especially when you're unable to maintain six feet of spacing, okay? Uh, that's all. Um, and be smart. We want you to be healthy. We want to continue to stay open and do all these good things. I had four different drafts of a letter written to you as a congregation this last week. I tore them all up because I couldn't figure out how to say it. So I thought, Mr. Head Elder, come Bible class. I'm just going to say what we've talked about, and uh, we might write something else. But to be honest, our policy and stuff really hasn't changed. We've always encouraged and asked you uh, uh, to wear a mask as you're able. We know not everybody is able to do that, um, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it's not a law. So I've seen some churches that have put signs on their doors, state law requires that in order to enter this church, you must wear a face mask. That's not true, and we're not putting a sign like that on our doors, okay? So, Mr. Head Elder, anything else you want to add to that? Okay, for those of you listening online, uh, we didn't have him mic'd up, and I'm just going to summarize real quick. That was uh, Mr. Steve Votman, our head elder here at church. Um, this order from the governor goes till end of August, somewhere around there. We're going to continue to evaluate those plans, uh, be smart, uh, be safe. Um, and the, the one thing I do want to make sure that all of you hear and those listening and watching understand and believe, it's called the divine service for a reason. divine service. German is Gottesdienst. God's service, God's work. So what do we believe when we walk through those doors and have a service? Do we believe we are in the presence of God and the angels and the saints above? Yes. That's different than going to Moe's, Friendly's Tavern, going to a, a I think, a Somebody was able to go to a soccer game down at the arena this last week, obviously with a lot of social distancing. That's different from all those things. So when we are gathering for worship, this is a high and holy thing. Okay, And in the midst of all the pandemics, all of the wars, all of the persecution, what are the words of Scripture? Do not cease gathering together. Do not stop meeting together. And so we have throughout Scripture, Jesus himself encouraging you to do what? Go to church. That's from Jesus. Not your pastors, not from the board of elders, not from the church council. The words of Scripture are very clear. Gather together to receive the Lord's gifts. And Christians before us, and most likely Christians after us, will face other types of persecution, worries, and fears that will keep them from coming and receiving the Lord's gifts. Okay? Now, we want to make that scientifically as safe as possible. But to be completely honest, can we ever guarantee that you're going to have a completely safe environment anywhere? You know, prior to this COVID thing, you know, one of the items we were talking about as elders in council? 
was a better security plan. Because what's happened at some other churches? People have come in and there's been shootings in churches. And we lock our doors and that sort of thing. But why were we talking about that? We want to protect our neighbor. We want to protect you. And so we'll continue to work on that. Now it's shifted with COVID. There will always be some reason that you can come up with of why I shouldn't go to church. Okay? And simply as a pastor, someone who's called to speak the word of God, I would simply encourage you to listen to the words of Jesus and trust that he's going to provide for you. Okay? And I know that takes faith. And I know that might sometimes make you a little uneasy. But to be honest, Scripture is very clear. We are like sheep to be slaughtered. We face death all day long. Okay? Now, I'm not saying if someone tells you, uh, in the words of a dear friend of mine, that if the coronavirus is on a lamp pole out in the parking lot, that you go lick it and test God to see if he's going to let you get it or not. Okay? We're not going to be silly, <laughs> all right, and test God in that way. We're going to be safe and we're going to be appropriate. Okay, any questions, any rotten fruit anybody wants to throw? I just wanted to be very clear with kind of where we're at, which is really where we've been and where we're going. Okay, yes, sir. Amen. Uh, thank you for that. The comment was made uh, that, uh, uh, that we should be very thankful of living in the state we're in. Uh, and... To <laughs> Because there are other states where worship is limited to numbers or still completely closed down. And as pastors, you know, we are part of the English district, which is literally coast to coast, east to west, border to border, north to south. We even have a couple circuits up in Canada. And what some of the other churches are experiencing because of government law um, is starkly different from what we have. Okay, So be thankful that uh, you know, uh, we have a state that is, I, I think, had a very good plan so far in attempting to promote public safety and welfare and also not tread too much upon individual freedoms, okay, uh, including churches, okay? Are there always things that can be tweaked for that? Yes, there are, okay? Uh, but uh, those are things to give thanks for, okay? Any other comments or anything? I hate talking about that kind of stuff. I really do. I hate that we got to deal with it, but that, that's, that, that, that's life, so. Okay, good, good? Put your hands in the air. Just get a little stretch. Okay, I'm just getting into my public speaker mode here. You want me to tell a joke now? Let's just pray. The Lord be with you. Grant to us, Lord, the Spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without you may be enabled by you to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Early service people, I want you to go back and reread that Collect of the Day, maybe pray it throughout the week. Um, it has great bearing and import upon what we talked about this morning in the scripture passages, the pericopes that we had. Late service people, uh, glance at that uh, you know, throughout the service or afterwards to focus in on that. Grant to us, Lord, the Spirit to think and do always such things as are right. So as Christians, we are praying and asking God to send the Holy Spirit to help us do what? Think of things that are right and correct, and not just think of them, but also do them, right? So, thought should always translate into action, according to God's Word. That's why Luther struggled with the book of James, because James said something like, faith without works is dead, and faith, oh, wait a minute. Well, see, they go hand in hand. And so we do talk about good works, 
our Lutheran confessions, we exhort, admonish one another, we spur one another on to do good deeds because that's the the good fruit that Jesus talks about. Early service people, late service people, wait for it. That's the good fruit that is going to come from the tree, right? Good works, okay? Uh, We cannot do anything that is good without you. So a Christian says, I can do no good on my own. And that's a, that's a big admission for new Christians or new Lutherans sometimes even to confess, that there's no good in me, that I am a deplorable, poor, miserable sinner. Oh, wait a minute, I'm not a poor, miserable sinner. You know, I got some money in the bank, and I'm pretty happy, right? And not only that, I'm kind of good, you know? I, I, I've worked hard, and I'm a pretty good person. And Jesus says, nah, you're not. God's Word says you are a poor, miserable sinner, and only because of God's work can you do anything that is good. That's starkly different from those who would would claim otherwise, okay? There's an old um, ancient uh, heresy, false teaching, uh, known as synergism, okay? That we can cooperate with God, that we can use our energy in helping to achieve not only our salvation, but also the blessings of God, right? which means we would have to change the doxology. Praise God and me from all blessings. How does that work? Praise, we got to change that then. It can't just be praise God. Praise me from, oh man. But see, that's the sinner in you wants to change that. You want to change the pronouns, okay? Um, You know, really to be subjective, to be you, okay? that we may be enabled by you to live according to your will. So, again, living according to God's will means that we are reading, studying, hearing God's word, and learning what his will is. Okay? Now, all of this, our text for today, dive, dovetail nicely with where we're at in Professor Marquardt's book, The Saving Truth, Doctrine for Lay People. We're on the last chapter, uh, which covers a, a little bit of apologetics and, and now in these last few pages, he's going to really deal with some of the postmodernism that is going on. So we're going to pick up at the uh, third full paragraph on page 174, natural theology of the sort found there in the American Declaration of Independence. You ready to go? Let's do it. Natural theology of the sort found in the American Declaration of Independence which appeals to, quote, the laws of nature and of nature's God, end quote, seem bold and liberating in the days of Thomas Jefferson. And, and perhaps you've kind of fallen into to, to that trap too, and this is where you need to study your history and also theology, okay? Uh, people often make comments, oh, our country is founded on the Bible. Our country is founded on, you know, on Christian faith, Okay? I'm not sure I would go so far to call Thomas Jefferson a Christian. He was a deist. There's a big difference. Okay? Were there Christians who signed the Declaration of Independence? You betcha. Were there those who (laughs) were not? Yes. So we are guaranteed freedom of religion, but be very careful when you start to say that, that our country is founded on Christianity as we may know or understand it. Be very careful with that. And some people would say that that's natural theology. And so we as a country are only extolling what you know, God has revealed in the world. And this is Mark, Mark Ward's going down this path, and I really thank him for it. Okay? It did not bind one, after all, to the revealed Christian mysteries and miracles. So nowhere in the Constitution, you want to talk about being founded on God's Word? Uh, does the Constitution bind one 
uh, to Christian mysteries, to the resurrection of Jesus. Is that mentioned anywhere in the, in the uh, Constitution? No, it's not. How about the mysteries? Find the word baptism in the Constitution? Find the sacraments? The Lord's Supper? Not, none of that. That's not there. Okay. Then, then after that time, okay, and then that was really kind of the rise of, of, of deism as we, and as we learned as well, the rise of enlightenment and humanism. So our country was kind of birthed in the midst of all these things that were going on uh, around the world. Okay. Then came Darwin, who in the words of Sir Arthur Keith, did more than anything else to lift the pall of superstition from mankind. So prior to that, uh, most modern scholars today would say that you know, people were just blinded. They just believed the Bible and took it as fact. Can you believe somebody would do that? Believe that God created, that he said, let there be light and there is light. Let there be a hippopotamus and there is a hippopotamus. That's crazy. So this is still around. So you need to know as a Christian, if you truly believe Scripture is God's word, okay, that you stand in stark contrast <laughs> To the world around you. Okay? Stark contrast to the world around you. Now, for an emancipated contemporary intelligentsia spoilt on Darwin, even the old natural theology seems much too constraining. So for those who would say, okay, you know, our country's built on God and you know, one nation under God, which actually wasn't added until later, but we won't get into the history of that, uh, you know, and, and who is God discussion, all that. Uh, now, that's even too constraining. The implication that the universe has a built-in moral order enrages those addicted to the drug of unbridled moral and cultural relativism, right? So the devil, the world, and your sinful nature would teach you there is no moral order. And you see this, you know, one of, one of my favorite blockbuster movies uh, is um, Independence Day with Will Smith, okay? Now, I've told you before, I don't believe in aliens. I don't. But have I watched about every movie that's come out regarding aliens? Yep. Have I watched uh, all of the Stargate uh, seasons and episodes along with my kids? By the way, we're big Stargate fans, okay? And I could, I could intertwine theology with that all day long. Star Trek you know, that sort of thing, okay? And that's not even getting into the whole vampire thing, right? Which my wife doesn't understand. But, but for me, I see how culture, how the devil is trying to teach the world various truths in that. Uh, and so how we as Christians always should be ready to respond to that. In Independence Day, the guy who figures out how to break the code and harm the aliens, what, what is his main job? Do you remember? Do you remember what he, have you ever read the book or paid attention to the movie? He studies chaos theory. Chaos theory. That the world is not ordered. That there is chaos. Now, ironically, it's through the writing of a code, binary, which is very ordered, if you know anything about computers or science, that ends up defeating the aliens. But that the world is in chaos. Okay? But in the midst of chaos, even a chaos theory would say, there's still a pattern. So from whence does this pattern come? Even Big Bang folks, there has to be a beginning somewhere. At some point, there's got to be a spark that starts life. And we would say, oh yeah, there was a Big Bang. It's when God said, let there be. <laughs> Boom, bang, creation like that. 
And they would say, no, it just happened on its own. Everything came together, you know, just miraculously, you know, amazingly. You know, and then we say, how often do you see that happen in the study of science and history? Show me some facts on that. I would submit to you, along with Mark Hart, that it takes more faith to believe the nonsense that is being fed to um, many of our students in not only public settings, but just in terms of a general world order. So we got to combat that. We have to be aware of that as Christians. Okay, comments or anything before I move on? So, and with Darwinian props crumbling, what will happen to our leading cultural hallucinations? They will hardly fade away meekly in favor of a large-scale return to natural theology. So which way do you think the culture is going to go from here? So we've gone through some of these stages, as Mark Ward has talked about. Are we going to return back to, you know, revolutionary war kind of deism talk of God? And Mark Ward is saying, absolutely not. The likely direction of post-Darwinian drift may be gauged from Hoyle's and uh, Wick Rumensing's odd speculations about hierarchies of extraterrestrial intelligences. So now the intelligence is going to have to come elsewhere. For those of you that are Stargate fan, for some of you are like Stargate, I have no idea what that is. And I'm not going to try and summarize it. But long story short, the pyramids and all that stuff were built by aliens. Okay? And not only that, they were really smart aliens. And so when we get in trouble as a culture or as planet Earth, who's going to help us? The smart aliens. Am I summarizing that okay? Because I know you're a little bit of a fan sitting there in the front row. The aliens are going to help us. Okay? So now there's got to be some sort of, and, and thus, if you pay any attention to, you know, movies and just even writings and stuff, there's all this concept of kind of artificial intelligence, that we're going to surpass the ability of the human mind. There's going to be this seamless integration with technology and humanity, right? And then we'll end up being smarter and, and, and better, faster, right? Okay? I, I can't dunk a basketball anymore. I bet if I lost 50 pounds and started working out, I probably could. But if I kept doing that, probably what's going to happen is something's going to go pop. Because that's just the age I am. My body can't take that anymore. Okay? Um, all right. Things break down. Things are not getting better. Things break down. But with Jesus, and this is where we go as a Christian, in death now, connected to Christ, there is life. Okay. All right, back here to back here to Mark Ward. I just I just want you to this is the framework of how we as Christians, you know, think and deal with this. So those of you headed off to college, uh, and especially if you're going to be in a in a secular setting, you need to be aware of this. You need to have your ears and eyes open. Okay? You need to pay attention um, to what you're seeing, to what you're being exposed to. How do I think through that with the lens of scripture and of God's word? So the New Age mix of occultism, and that's still out there, folks. Matter of fact, we were, <laughs> my wife and I went for a walk. Uh, we, were, you know, we, were at, we were at the beach a couple weeks ago uh, trying to stay away from everybody, and now it's been well over 10 days, and we're fine, so don't worry. Um, and, uh, uh, and we walked by, and there's this circular blanket with this lady sitting down. I can't even sit like she was sitting. It's where you cross your legs and you put your fingers on your, you know, and she had a circular blanket with some weird symbols on it. And she had cards laid out in front of her. They were tarot cards. And there was a woman on the other side of her, you know, and she had her, you know, coffee mug and stuff. She was doing a tarot reading. Reading her fortune cards and giving her advice. 
and, and before I even realized what they, were, what, they were, what they were doing as we were walking down the beach, I just, have you ever had the hair stand up on your arms and you don't know why? Okay, and I don't want to get, we're not, we're not going to, you know, put too much stock in things like that, but I just felt this uneasiness, and all of a sudden I looked down, and this is what's going on. Complete and utter evil. Evil, fortune-telling, tarot cards, occultism. And, and uh, if you've ever been tempted by that, okay, with Jesus there is forgiveness. If you're struggling with that, come talk to us as pastors. Scripture warns against that. People are always looking for extra information, you know, extra revelation from God. But Scripture is very clear. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. No more prophets now. Now in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. You want to know about your future? Go to the Bible. Listen to Jesus. Okay? You want more information other than in the Bible? Too bad. You have everything you need. And that's where we make our ground. We make our stance as Christians. We don't look for extra prophecy and visions and all that stuff. Okay? And, and pay attention to that in the gospel text for today. That's pretty good. Okay, so this stuff is still around. Okay? Um, I have another story I could tell, but we need to get back to the text. My, my wife and kids told me I tell too many stories. The New Age mix of occultism, Eastern mysticism, and what Marquardt calls California hype is well able to supply whatever cosmic intelligences are needed to keep the Darwinian corpse twitching and lurching in a parody of life. So psychic phenomena lend sufficient scientific credibility to this natural theology substitute. Marilyn Ferguson's quote, The Aquarian Conspiracy, documents in detail the enormous cultural appeal of the trendy mystical mush. Feeling, intuition, and direct experience are its guides. Let me repeat that. Feeling, intuition, and direct experience are its guides, not doctrines, authority, or sacraments. Now, we all in this room and probably watching online have been tempted and fallen into this. Okay? Why do you want to do this? I just feel that it's the right thing to do. Okay, uh, is this right or is this wrong? Well, my intuition tells me. Okay, um, or <laughs> you know, back in my day, this is what we did, or I had this experience, so therefore it must be true. I had someone once try to convince me that uh, um, ghosts can be good, and I said, "No, they're evil spirits. They are not from God." Oh no, 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 no. I know I saw my grandma walking through the attic, and she was there to remind me that she's okay, and, and we keep all of our memories in the attic, and she was encouraging me to even stay faithful and go to church, and I said, no, that is not from God. But the ghost of my grandma never harmed me, and it even pointed to a, a stack of old family Bibles we had in the corner, and I said, that's not from God. He says he's not going to work that way. That's experience. So now, where, where do we have our assurance uh, of certain things? Not from God or his word, from human experiences. What about that whole book about the, the kid? And I, and I know the backstory to this because it happened in Nebraska. Uh, the kid who, who dies, little boy, goes to heaven, you know, sees his grandpa, other people they'd never seen before, okay? Written by supposedly a Christian pastor, and it's, it's evil and it's nonsense, 
So you should believe that heaven is real because a little boy experienced it. No. You should believe heaven is real because Jesus says so. You see the difference? But, oh, it's such a wonderful story. It just gives me the warm fuzzies. And this little boy, he learned and saw things he didn't know. Yeah, that's from the devil. Seriously. You don't think the devil doesn't know those things? And he's going to try and masquerade as an, as an angel of light? Of course he is. So you have to be very careful with that stuff. So th- this is all around us. And it's even within, quote, the Christian church as a whole. It all comes back to God's Word. Okay? So when you're not going back to doctrines in terms of what Scripture teaches, authority in terms of, uh, you know, where you are in your life, okay, we're each supposed to submit to each other in order of the authority that is given to us. Okay? And so Paul's talking about that when he's talking about husbands and wives, but he's saying for all Christians. All of us has somebody that's over us, okay? I have a, a circuit visitor, Pastor Grady does as well. We have a pastor uh, who helps to visit and guide, and he's got a little bit of authority over us, not a whole lot. The, you as a church, we as pastors are to be held accountable to you as the voters' assembly, and there are expectations that you would have upon what we would do, okay? And should I acknowledge that? Yes, I should. That's very important authority. Okay? Raise your hand if you have a boss. <laughs> All the men raise their hand. Yeah, she's sitting next to me. <laughs> Sorry, that was a joke. Uh, so, yeah, you've got somebody that's in charge of some aspect of your life. Okay? So authority, that comes from God, and we, we need to acknowledge that. Okay? And what about the sacraments? What does it mean to live in my baptism, to die daily to sin, to rise to new life? Okay? Uh, for those of you still sequestering at home that we haven't seen for four months, call us. You need the Lord's body and blood. You can come here to church safely. We will meet with you. You need the Lord's body and blood. Okay? If you don't think you need it, pinch yourself and see if you're still alive. That's the advice Luther gives. Okay. Is that fair, Pastor Grady? Okay. Okay. So we believe that these things are very important to the church. My parents came this last weekend, and uh, their church hadn't been offering any opportunity for the Lord's Supper up until like a week or two weeks ago. And so I just simply asked mom and dad, when's the last time you had the Lord's body and blood? Do you want it? We would love it. So I got to commune my parents. Okay, now i got to send a note to their pastor that I did that, but, you know, even still, they really, that was a real blessing for them. Okay? All right. Okay, questions or comments here? We're, we're, we're combining, as we close up Marquardt, a few things together, okay? All right, even a prominent physicist is persuaded, apparently, that the universe is pulsating in a cosmic dance of Shiva, the Hindu god of death. And in our Western world, a pseudo-Hindu occultism was popularized by theosophy and anthroposophy. I always just struggle with that. I talked about anthropocentrism, anthroposophy, whatever. Okay, it means man-centered. Okay, uh, there actually was a comic book. Any of you have a comic book with Anthro Man? You've never. Oh, you need to go Google that, you young folks. Anthro Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was, it was a long, long-standing kind of ca- comic series. Not as big as the whole. I don't know if it was in the DC or the Marvel universe. You young guys would ask me that. I have no idea. Uh, but there was an old comic book called Anthro Man, and he represented humanity and all that humanity stood for. And yeah, okay, let's move on. 
For a striking example of how this form of occultism, and again, the focus is always on we as humans, we're so strong, and we have the power within us, and we just need to unite together, okay? Uh, for a striking example of how this form of occultism can be used to save evolution from the quicksands of randomness and natural selection, the readers referred to the loom of creation by British academics Dennis Milner and Edward Smart. Their book is subtitled suggestively, A Study of the Purpose and the Forces that Weave the Pattern of Existence. So even those who would fail to believe in God acknowledge that there's got to be some sort of what? Pattern. Okay? Where does it come from? Okay? Uh, there was a movie with uh, Angelina Jolie, uh, you know, way back when, and, and it was about a kind of league of assassins. And the way they figured out who that they should kill according to natural order was by this loom that would weave certain threads. And then people would interpret, you know, the quilt or the thread that was produced about who was supposed to die. And, and, uh, and I don't want to spoil, for those of you that like kind of action movie type stuff, uh, you know, in it. But ultimately, somebody ends up manipulating that. So, you know, where, where, where's the pattern, you know, path for my life? If you're younger, you might be asking yourself, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? You know, you're, you're, at, a, you're at a crossroads, okay? As a Christian, you have the assurance that, that the Lord knows and will always provide for you, and the Lord might be providing two different paths for you to go down. Pick one, and he promises he'll be with you, okay, uh, and provide for you, okay? He does give us wonderful freedom and choices, uh, and we just have to look at, okay, the reason I'm making the choices, is it, is it, is it just... Is it what he wants me to do? You know, where is God in the midst of my life and what I'm doing? Because he desires to work through you to do what? For you to produce good fruit for your neighbor. So a Christian should always ask, how is God using me to serve my neighbor? As opposed to, what makes me happy? What do I like doing? Be very careful when you leave God out of the equation. Because he has put you here in this place to be of service to your neighbor in some way, shape, or form. And he also promises that you're going to find happiness and contentment while serving and doing that. Okay? Don't come ask me what you're supposed to do. I don't know, but those are the questions I'm going to ask you. Okay? Occultism and mysticism allow our self-indulgent, quote, public opinion to enjoy the best of both worlds. On the one hand, there is no cramping moral order like that of the old natural theology. The mushy normlessness of self-realization leaves one free to fornicate, right? Your sexuality is your own. Do with it whatever you want. Forget about being made in the image of God. Forget about whether God has made you male or female. You just, you just whatever makes you feel good, okay? That, that's, and you, you know where the current culture is at. You might have had, because we're sinners, Questions and concerns with these things. Just because you have questions, concerns, or feelings doesn't mean that they're right. Then we go back to God's Word to see whether they're right or wrong. Okay? I know a lot of people who have homosexual feelings and tendencies and struggle with those but don't act on them. In the same way that I know a lot of people that, that can no longer you know, drink a beer. Because when they drink one beer, they've got to have 12 or 14 or 20 or more. Okay? Um, so we always want to, yes, we're all sinners, but what does God say and, and, and what does he provide now as a way to deal with that? So to say there is no sin or I can do whatever I want is completely contrary to God's word. Free to fornicate, free to abort. 
My mom is president of Kansas Lutherans for Life, and when she was out here to visit early this last week, she came and, and did a presentation with me and Pastor Grady, um, filling us in on, on uh, life issues and giving us some great material. I'd like to have a section in our library, and I'm looking at a few people who have been involved in the life, uh, the life side of things, a section of our library that has some resources so people can come in and, and have access to some of that. And maybe get some of those links on our website as well. Okay, kids that are in you know high school, they get in debate about abortion with their best friend or the kid on the swim team or the baseball team. You know, how do I how do I speak to what God's word says? These things are important. What are some of the current issues? What about in vitro fertilization? Okay, um, you know, death and dying. I mean, there's just there's all these things, and so we want to be students of Scripture so that we can promote the life that God has given, and protect that as well. But the culture would say, do, do with life whatever you want. Unless we have more laws in place to prevent, you know, to uh, protect bald eagles and baby seals than we do babies, which is absolutely ridiculous, okay? Um, divorce at will, right? So, hey, if we don't get along, we'll just get a divorce. Not a big deal, okay? And I would imagine there's, there's you know, people here, divorce is, is, is difficult, um, and a result of sin, and the Lord provides forgiveness if you've been through that, uh, but uh, it should be the absolutely last thing that takes place. Okay. Um, and uh, in the process of getting married, invite Christ you know, through that process. That's why we as pastors do premarital counseling, and we go through per- not, not only personality and inventory testing to help identify where you might have problems as a husband and wife, uh, but we also get into the theology side of it. What is marriage according to God's eyes? Why is it so important for this life? Okay, and and what a blessing it can be. Okay, um, and to vibrate all the closer for it to the inner harmonies of the cosmos. So, postmodernism would 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 just say, you're on your own. You're part of a beautiful tapestry, you know. But make your own way. Da 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 da. On the other hand, mysticism fills up the yawning void of a meaningless universe. In a sense, it is true that the coarsest third-world witchcraft is closer to the mark than the Western university superstition that everything came from nothing by itself. Also, there is animism, which at least knows that there's more to the universe than meets the eye. Okay? And you'd see a little bit of this in Shintoism. Raise your hand if you've traveled to the, uh, uh, you know, to the Western Rim, to the Pacific, and you've seen any of the uh, Shinto temples. Okay, uh, there'll be uh, temples in Japan at the base of the mountain to you know uh, gods or deities of the sea, to the air, to the birds, you know, to all these things. Um, and uh, you know, and, okay. Now the fundamental flaw of mysticism or quote enthusiasm, and so the word I'm going to just use as a blanket statement, and Marquardt uses it, and it's also part of our Lutheran confessions, is enthusiasm. All this that we've just talked about can be summarized by the word enthusiasm. So if you're reading through the book of Concord, and if you haven't, I'd encourage you to get a copy. Um, it's, uh, it's good, and, and we'll continue to do some studies on that down the road as well. Um, that uh, this concept of now God within, that I have you know, kind of the, 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 the divine within me, and so I become my own God. I become the, the, the deciding factor of what is right or what is wrong. Okay? And so as a Christian, again... We are, and pay attention to, to the text from today that talks about us being debtors or slaves to God, okay, as being, sa- as being you know, saved and rescued. So now we place ourselves under, you know, God's word uh, and seek to serve, serve him accordingly, okay? 
Um, G.K. GK Chesterton um, says that that is the worst possible of all false religions. Quote, that Jones shall worship the God within him turns out ultimately to mean that Jones shall worship Jones. And this, of course, is all idolatry, or as my dear friend Reverend Brent Kuhlman would say, it's all about self-justification, okay? which means that you are justifying yourself, you are deciding what is truth, you're a God unto yourself. Or as Ronald Knox famously quipped, quote, fanaticism feels it knows not what. Faith knows what it does not feel. Let me read that again. I think that's a good quote. Fanaticism feels it knows not what. Faith knows what it does not feel. So the instinctive preference for a shapeless mysticism over the discipline of intellectual and moral order is no doubt related to man's tendency, observed by Kipling, by the way, to fudge and to compromise so that, quote, very rarely will, very rarely will man squarely push the logic of a fact to its ultimate conclusion in unmitigated act. Why then Christianity? The existence of God, some sort of God, does not the does, does not end the discussion, but simply begins it. Only at this point do things really get interesting for the question that arises quite inevitably, which God? So this is the point where many simply throw up their hands and say, with all the many religions in the world, each one claiming to be the only truth, on what possible ground should one of these religions be preferred to all the others? Fair question, right? Or even within Christianity, what does it matter whether I'm fill-in-the-blank? Roman Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Disciples of Christ, Church of Christ, non-denominational. Okay? You might have had these questions before. Okay? So we start with, with religion, right? and that's where we would use the word now syncretism, okay? um, and, and then unionism. So, you know, uh, I'm getting too far ahead. Let me go back to the text here because we're running out of time. So the trouble is that people generally have become accustomed to a shallow alphabetical table treatment of religions, which makes them all look more or less the same. The reality, however, is very different. And all I'm going to say real quick, because we're running out of time, is who is Jesus? Who is he? Where is he? So who is Jesus? Where is he? And what is he doing? And I think when you ask those three questions, you'll find that not only are the world religions vastly different, we do not all worship the same God, you'll also find that all, quote, Christian denominations are not the same either. Okay? Remember the three questions? Go ahead. Who, what, where? Who is Jesus? Okay? What is he doing? Okay? Where is he? Okay? Think about that through the lens of the catechism and think about that, you know, if you're getting all, you know, worried about the mask and the coronavirus and, and think about the divine service in a little different way. The divine service is different than going to the grocery store. It's different than going in and paying for your gas. It's divine. Don't put church on the same level as everything else that we're about doing. That's all I would ask of you, okay? All right, let's finish with this paragraph and then we're done. So the world's religions may be numbered on one's fingers. Hinduism, Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And if you take a course in world religions, those are pretty much the seven that you're going to cover. Okay? I've got several books. I've 
taken those classes, I've taught those classes, I've even kept my binders for my classes. Now, apart from these, one finds mainly animism and local cults like Shintoism. Okay? So you would find a few other kind of splinters or breakoffs. The Eastern religions at their best do not claim to be divine revelations at all. Rather, they present themselves as the accumulated wisdom of great sages. They tend to pessimism and skepticism to the point of atheism, as in original Buddhism. As for the great historical religions, they diverge from common roots. Judaism and Christianity differ over whether Jesus is or is not the real culmination fulfillment of the Old Testament. Islam is but a flamboyant adaptation of Christianity to Muhammad's claim that he, not Jesus, was the ultimate prophet. So the modern tendency is to fob off the various religions with the Alice in Wonderland maxim that, quote, all have won and all must have prizes. Okay? Which kind of draws a little bit of a bow around some things. My brother and my dad and I were talking about that over the phone this past week. And, you know, we, we live in, we have these socialist tendencies where, you know, everybody's got to kind of win a prize. Everybody's got to have exactly the same thing. Um, and, uh, wow. We don't see that in Scripture. We don't. We don't. Jesus doesn't promise that all who follow him are going to be wealthy and not poor and vice versa. So we'll have to come back to that a little bit. Let's finish this paragraph. We'll be done for a day. So the whole notion of, quote, religious language may be said to have been invented for this very purpose. In religious language, things are supposed to be true in some sense other than the ordinary meaning of truth. Stripped of actual jargon, the basic idea is that in religion, any lot of nonsense can be true if only somebody is sincere about it, which takes us back to where we started. It's all about your sincerity, right? The world would say, the devil would say in your sinful nature about how you feel. And if you're sincere, God bless you. But God says, you're not sincere. You're a sinner. And I've rescued you from this mess. So hear my word Come to my banquet, eat, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Uh, amen. Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.